Glory to God. Last night we saw miracles in this room. We didn't see them because of Mario. We saw them because of Christ. Tonight it is the same thing. By the way, the power of God is already stronger in this room than it was last night. And I'm telling you that because one of my, one of my passions is to know the Holy Spirit. I was telling our workers before the meeting, I said, the dove is the only bird that you don't hear fly off. You can hear a pigeon when it leaves, a hawk. You can hear even a sparrow. But because of the design of the wings of a dove, it can leave, and you don't even know it. The Bible says that Samson did not know that the Holy Spirit had left him. David cried in Psalm 51, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. No matter what the Lord did last night, and no matter what any reputation that any man might have, we are utterly dependent on God tonight as if we'd never had a meeting, as if nothing had ever happened. It's a, it's a new night. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Clap your hands one last time. Give him praise. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I'm going to tell you a story real quick. My wife eats perfectly. She would put Jack LaLanne under conviction when he was on the earth. And one day we got into it about Chinese food because I'm going to admit it publicly. I love Chinese food. And I'm persistent. I've learned how to believe and trust. Even when everything looks impossible, I know how to stand and believe, not just because I'm a Christian, but because I'm a Raider fan. Amen. That's right. So that's why I have learned how to stand and believe when everything looks impossible. But she said to me one time, you can't have that Chinese food. They have MSG in that. Monosodium glutamate. You see, what it does is it makes a vegetable taste good. How many of you know anything that makes a vegetable taste good is a miracle? So I said, the MSG unlocks the flavor. Well, she was right. I read up on it, and it gives you headaches, and it does all kind of bad things to you. So they have now alternative ways of getting the flavor out of vegetables that are more natural. But when I went and studied MSG, I found out that there is a good MSG in the Bible. And what it is, it's when you witness to a lost soul. Because the Bible says, I would that you would be active. Philemon, verse 7. I would that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you may know what you have in Christ. Do you know that prior to Billy Graham, who was considered the greatest evangelist of the last several hundred years, was a man you may never have heard of named E. Stanley Jones, who started as a missionary to India and won so many Hindus to the Lord that he became best friends with Mahatma Gandhi. Time magazine said on the cover, said in an early edition, 
E. Stanley Jones is the most powerful Christian missionary in the world. He would set up debates with the most famous atheists of the day, a forum where he would argue and debate the gospel, and they would record these things. And he would never divulge who was going to be on his team. There might be five atheists, and E. Stanley Jones wouldn't tell you who was going to be on his team. Because you know who was on his team? New converts. People that had been saved only a few days or a few months. He would find them. And then he would let the atheists do all the talking. And then he'd change and look over across the round table, the forum, and say, now you tell what the Lord has done for you. And the power of your personal testimony is one of the greatest gifts that God will ever give you. The power of your personal testimony. When E. Stanley Jones turned 90, he made a rare appearance on the West Coast. And I heard that he was going to be at the Lutheran West Coast Seminary in Berkeley. I got there early because I knew there'd be a line around the block. And this frail, 90-year-old, white-haired man stood up and he said to this absolutely liberal, totally abandoned their roots in the Bible, seminary, he said, you cannot stop. It, with, with the weakest voice, he said, you cannot stop the power of Jesus Christ because through the personal testimony, it is verifiable. Now tonight, we're going to hear a story that's going to give the devil the worst migraine he's had in the Bay Area in 30 years. Somebody give God the glory. Hallelujah. I don't know if you're excited enough yet. I'm working hard up here. When T and Jim came into my life, she was dying. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, she could have died at any moment. She could have been dead in my meeting. And if I can tell you that, imagine in a building a little, quite a bit smaller than this, packed, packed since 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It came from everywhere. And Jim and T came early and sat right on the aisle. And death was claiming her. And that night, something happened. How many of you would like to know? No, how many of you would really like to know? Well, right now I'm going to ask Teresa or T and Jim to come to the stage. Somebody explode with praise as they come right now. Hallelujah. The power of God's already on her right now. We might need an usher, not just for them, but for me. You feel the anointing? <laughs> well, you know what I do. I talk to Jim first. Come on. You know, if there was a husband of the year, that would be one thing. This is the husband of the century.
How many years did you have to sleep in separate bedrooms because just touching her was like her being stabbed by a knife? How many years? Fourteen. Out of the 23 years I was married to her, that I am married to her, 14 of those have been set in separate beds. And night after night, to watch somebody cry in pain because the sheets hurt your skin. And her laying there crying, crying asking God, why is this happening? And me sitting there going, wow, what can I do? You know, I felt helpless. You know, you sit there and watch the person that you love most besides Jesus Christ himself sit there and suffer that long, for that many hours out of a day. There's nothing you could do but pray and sit there and love somebody, you know. Most people, most men would have got up and walked out of the relationship because there's, you know, there's just no love in America for between a man and woman, true love, unconditional love like Jesus Christ loves you. That's how he wants to love you. And that's how he wants you to love each other, with unconditional love. Because if I didn't have unconditional love that I learned from Jesus Christ, there's no way I could have stuck with her through these 14 years. But I did it because God gave me the grace to do so. Somebody give God the glory. Now, I'm not done with him yet, but I need to ask you a question. T, what is the name of the disease, just that one, that made it impossible for him to touch you? Reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And what that is, is if you get bumped or injured in any way, a normal person, after a while, the pain will go away. Like if you smack your hand, it might sting for a little bit or ache for a little bit but it will go away. With me, it never went away. Every single time I would even bump myself, it was as if I'd been hit by a train and the pain just never went away. It doesn't shut off. And that sound like hell itself? That, that's astonishing. Come on over here, son. Hallelujah. Praise God. Your wife went from indescribable pain to uh, dying. Yes. So now the prospect was very real that she was going to die. Yes. Matter of fact, the doctor sent her home to die. Sure did. What were you going through at that time? I didn't know what I was going to go through. A lot of things. My, my, my whole life was just there. You know, I was like, whoa, man, God, you said, you know, you'd never give me more than I can handle, but this is more than I can handle. I don't want to lose my wife. You know, she's the love of my life. And, you know, I was freaking out. I was like, God, you've got to answer my prayers, man. And my youth pastor of our church, we work out together at the gym. And uh, he said, man, Mario Murillo is going to be up at our church, dude. You need to come. He says, you got a healing anointing from God. He says, you need to come, you know. Tell me your wife's sick all the time. You need to come, brother. He said, all right. So we made it up there to the church. And Mario was walking by and looked at it and said, young lady, stand up. She stood up. He started naming out disease after disease after disease after disease. God healed every one of them. She hit the ground. She didn't know what she was doing, but she hit the ground. She was out. And it was just amazing. 
But to sit and suffer through all that, all those years, and then to watch her get healed was one glorious moment. Amen. You've done good, son. Would you clap for Teresa right now? I maybe want to talk to this miracle woman right now. This is always the most amazing part for me is to ask you what were all of the diseases that had come upon you all at one time? Well, I always have my list with me because there's so many things that were wrong with me that um, it's real easy to just skip over and forget something. But um, I had diabetes. I had degenerative disc and joint disease. Every disc in my spine and every joint in my body was disintegrating. I was born with scoliosis. I had a, a telescopic spine where my the outer part of my spine was collapsing on the inner part and it was making me bend backwards. And I actually had lost two inches in height from that. I had been 5'9 for years. And when I was sick, I was 5'7", and I'm 5'9 again. Oh, you need to clap louder than that. Come on now. I had liver disease, and it was so bad that it, my liver was functioning at about 3%. 97% of my liver was confirmed dead, wasn't functioning at all. And I had so many other things wrong with me that there was nine specialists that looked at me and they all said there was no way I could qualify for a transplant because I would never live through the surgery because my liver was so toxic, it had killed my appendix and my gallbladder, which I had to have removed. My spleen was three times larger than it should have been. My heart was enlarged. I had osteoarthritis, and I had that reflex sympathetic dystrophy for 14 years. Plus, when I was a child, I was well, I was a young teenager, I was in a very bad car accident, and it um, caused me constant pain in my spine from the injury. So I was basically in pain for a total of 43 years. There was not one single day during that 43 years that I did not have some sort of pain in my body. And when Mario came to our church, the first night that we went, it was too crowded and we got turned away. And so we went back and I think it was a divine appointment that we missed that first night because it wasn't my time but we came came back and Mario walked up to me and he called told me to stand up and he called me out into the aisle a little ways and I don't remember anything after that because the Holy Spirit was so thick hit me so hard I just went out on the floor now, now I'm going to interrupt Go ahead and clap, but I've got to ask a question. In the natural, you hitting the floor because nobody caught her. She just slammed on the floor. In the natural, 
what, what should have happened when you hit the floor with, in the condition you were in? I should have died. It, the, the pain would have been so excruciating from all the broken bones that I would have gotten, my heart probably would have stopped because of the shock. You don't even remember feeling hitting the floor. Is anybody getting excited yet? You don't, you don't even remember feeling the floor. What I remember is I felt like I was floating. And I remember I could smell lavender really strong. And I saw like a fog with a strong light behind it. And I could hear singing. And that's all I remember. That's all I remember. I may be getting chills right now. Now, I'm going to, Jim, you just stay right where you are. I'm going to use my, my arm to get over there. You remember what she doesn't remember. When she was on the floor, you were listening. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't have any nail prints in my hand. I don't have a wound in my side. I did not hang on a cross. I have no righteousness from which I can boast. My one boast is once I was lost and now I am found. That's my boast. That's my boast. But you began to hear the flow of language that could not have originated with me. And what she's on the floor smelling lavender, seeing clouds and light, doesn't remember hitting the floor, should have died from the impact of that floor. And what are you doing at that moment? What are you hearing? What am I hearing? Rejoicing in my heart and hearing him. But I mean, your wife who just hit the floor. She was grumbling in the spirit. and Mario was naming off the diseases. And I was sitting there praising God, just thanking God with all my heart, you know, crying, you know, you know, because my heart was breaking, you know, and it was amazing to see her on that floor being healed. Trust me. It was one of the best moments of my life. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, we're taking a little extra time, but I want to see what you do. He went home that night with a new wife. Oh, I, I want to shout just a little bit. Hallelujah. Now, you went to your doctor after the Lord had healed you. I went back to my doctor and because I wanted proof. And he ran all the tests again, MRIs, uh, ultrasounds, um, x-rays, blood tests, urine tests, everything. And the test results came back, and he told the lab to run them again. So they ran them again. And he said, is there any way that you could have mixed up her films, her blood, and her urine? And they said, well, no, there's no way. And so he got the reports back from the lab people and from the x-ray people and, you know, all the doctors that read the MRIs and all that. And he sat me down in his office and he said, I don't understand this. And he said... See, they have a, a scale where in, you're either 
abnormal, like you're, you're too low or you're too high in your blood work or your urine work. And in the center, they have a scale of what they consider normal. And there's low normal and there's high normal. Well, every single one of my tests was right exactly in the center of the normal. Now, now here's what I want to tell you. You got a new liver. Yeah, according to the MRI, they, took, they compared the old MRIs to the new ones and the CAT scans and the x-rays and everything. And they said that my liver after I went and saw Mario and God healed me, was that of an unborn child. When a child's in the womb, if it's a healthy fetus, it has the most pristine liver there is because it hasn't been exposed to the outside world to collect any toxins. And they said they had never seen any liver like that in a human who had been born, let alone a 59-year-old woman. And they said that no one, the, the MRI doctor said that he'd been in practice for 37 years and he'd never seen a liver that pristine. And the liver before then was so dead that the tissue on my liver was actually flaking away because it was dead. And so I had like a reborn liver. To God be the glory. What a life you two have had since then. Sharing your story, blowing people's minds, and just telling new heart, new lungs, new pancreas, new liver, new spine, new marriage. Now, I want you to do that famous part that I love so much. When I was sick, when I was sick, was on a lot of medication just to stay alive. Some of the pills I had to take, well, there was one in particular I had to take 11 pills a day. And none of these pills are pain pills. These are just pills I needed to take every single day to stay alive. Every single one of these pills Every one of these bottles, I took anywhere from 1 to 11 pills a day. After I got healed, this is the medication I take now. Give him glory. Somebody shout right now. I want to let everybody here know something. 
that God laid on my heart. I was praying last I just found out last night that I was coming, and I was praying about coming down here. And God laid two scriptures on my heart really heavy, Mark 2.17 and John 17.20. Mark 2.17 talks about how Jesus hung out with notorious sinners and how he came to heal those that were broken, those that were dirty or bad or whatever you want to call it. He didn't come here to gather around with all the good people and the fancy people and the people that were already saved. That wasn't his purpose. And also, before Jesus died, he prayed for all of his apostles just before he crossed over into the garden to be arrested. But after he got done praying for all of his apostles, he prayed and it says, Jesus prayed for future believers. That's us. So before he died on the cross, before, you know, he knew what was going to happen to him. And before he went across the, into the garden to be brutally beaten and tortured beyond anything any of us could ever imagine, he took the time to pray for those people that were not even born yet. And I want you all to know that it doesn't matter where you came from, what your past was like, not even what your present is like. My husband and I come from a very dark past. We were one of those dirty, bad people that Jesus would have probably hung out with. So he's not a respecter of persons, and he came to heal all of us. So if you think that you can't be healed because you're not worthy to be healed or you're too bad of a sinner, that's not what his word says. His word says that he prayed for you 2,000 years ago before you were ever even thought of. He would not do that if he didn't love each and every one of us, and he wouldn't have died on the cross either. to remember that if you were the last person on the face of the earth, Jesus still would have died on the cross for you. So you are worthy to get healed. You just have to believe it. Stand and give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Does he deserve what you're doing right now? Who healed this woman? Give Jesus all the praise. Come on, shout one more time. You may be seated. I took extra time tonight to uh, allow Sister T, as we call her, and Jim to share. So I did not prepare a full-blown sermon. I prepared a concluding set of remarks about you and your healing. 
It is life and death that you look in the Bible right now. Everyone in this room, listen to me. We're going to open to John chapter 5 in just a moment. But everyone hear me. There are only two categories of people in this room. Those who need healing and those who need to start healing the sick. Now, as soon as possible, I'm going to put everybody into the one category. Those who need to begin healing the sick. Things are so bad, they are good. That's an amazing statement. Somebody ought to write a book entitled, Things Are So Bad, They Are Good. The Bible says where sin does abound, grace does more abound. Things are so bad that no church committee can come up with a strategy to deal with the Bay Area. The evil, the sin, the depth, the significant and sophistication of the layers of atheism and secular progressivism in the, in the Bay Area are now so pronounced, so mature, so blossomed that it is beyond any human debate to change the minds of the people of the Bay Area. The drugs are the most lethal we've ever seen. The lies are the most convincing we've ever seen. The false teachers are the most persuasive that they've ever been. It is so bad that it is good because now we need God. And we always needed God, but here's the good part. Now we know that we need God. We need God to run the church. We need God to control our preaching. We need God to make us addicted to prayer. We must become as addicted to Christ as the gangbanger is to crack cocaine. We must begin, forgive me for the analogy, tweaking in the Holy Ghost. Now, having said that, all of you that need healing, listen to me as if this were the last sermon you'd ever hear in your life. I'm preaching in the next few minutes as though at the end of this sermon I would stand before God to give an account for every syllable that came out of my mouth. There is in Jerusalem a sheep gate. By the sheep gate a pool called Bethsaida or Bethesda having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever got in first was healed, was made well of whatever disease they had. Now a certain man had been there 38 years. I was stunned by the length of time that this couple went through their trial. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, look at me now, this is the point. Do you want to be healed? 
in a very real way, unless you understood the divine power of God, this is an extremely inappropriate statement. The man might have been offended and even possibly enraged. I've been here 38 years laying next to this water. I've been here paralyzed all these years. I didn't do this for any other reason except to be healed. But you know what Christ is doing is something that every Christian in the Bay Area needs. You see, what I want to do is influence the pastors of the Bay Area. I want to influence them. I want to influence them that they're getting excited over nothing. How many of you know a story like Jim and Teresa should be in every church in the Bay Area? How many of you understand that if the miracle power of God were restored to the Bay Area church and freely we would operate in the gifts of the Spirit, quit being afraid of the Holy Spirit. Quit being afraid of prophecy. Quit being afraid of the gift of tongue. Quit being afraid of the flow of God. Because all we're going to do is turn the problem of the Bay Area over to Jesus Christ. We're going to say, you be the Lord of the church, not these church growth experts, not these spin doctors with theological cemetery degrees after their name. Is anybody listening to the man of God right now? You see, it's as if Christ said, even though it looks for all the world like you want to be healed, I still got to ask you, do you really want to be healed? And God is saying to pastors, here, you talk revival. You, you act like you love revival. You read about revival. You say you want revival. Whenever anybody brings up revival, oh, you've got nothing but positive remark. But the Holy Ghost is asking every minister in the Bay Area, do you really want revival or are you just giving it lip service? Because when you want revival, you make room for revival. You don't want revival if the Holy Ghost can't break your schedule. You don't want revival if you're afraid of the news media. You don't want revival if there's somebody on your board that's going to be offended and remove their tithe from your congregation if you begin to praise just a little bit louder, if you begin shouting just a little bit louder, if you call for a Friday night of intercession and you begin to fast and pray and seek God, quit saying you want revival. In this pool, two worlds collided. The Old Testament and the New had a head-on collision at the pool of Bethesda. The New was about to swallow up the Old. And in the pool, we find the definition of religion. A massive group of sick people preaching healing where only a few ever get healed. Where if you were from another nation and you had wandered by the pool, you'd have wondered, is there something in the water making these people sick? And my friend, the answer would, to that question would be yes. It is called religion. 
You see, Jesus asked him, would you like to be healed? Listen to what the man said. Sir, I have no man when the water is stirred to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming, another steps in before me. Religion gives us all of this right here. Number one, you have to have a man. Number two, God only works at special times. Number three, you have to be quick. God isn't going to heal anybody slow. I would have healed you, but you're too slow. Look at me, because it's based on works. That angel wanted to come more often. That angel wanted to do more. That angel hated as much as any being on the planet and in heaven and earth that he can only come occasionally, that he can only stir the water for a moment. But somebody had arrived to change all of that. You know what God was going to do? God was about to take the rusty, leaky faucet of religion and he was going to break off the tip and turn it into a raging river. How many of you know tonight, we don't want mercy drops. We want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come on, we don't want mercy drops. We want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want to get healed, but here's the deal. Joe comes every day to help me at a certain time. Sometimes Joe shows up, sometimes he doesn't. Take Tuesday, for example. The water was stirred, but Joe never showed up. So when the water was stirred, I didn't have anybody put me in the water. Then there was the other day, Wednesday, when Joe showed up. We sat here all day, and the angel never showed up. Water was never stirred. Then came Thursday, when, in fact, the angel did show up, and Joe had me, but we were slow, and somebody else beat me. And here's religion talking about, you know what? I would have been healed except for the man didn't show up and he did show up and the water wasn't stirred or the water was stirred and the man didn't show up. Or the water was stirred and the man did show up but somebody else beat me. And I would love for God to touch me but here's the deal. I don't have a man when I need it or I have a man and I don't need it. Or the water is stirred and nobody's there or somebody's there and the water is stirred or the water is stirred and the man's there and somebody else beats me. It's time for us to slay these sacred cows that hold back healing. Come on, somebody, help me preach right now. It's time to slay these sacred cows. Why do I like to kill sacred cows? Because they make the most delicious hamburgers. Think of this. When I conduct meetings, the hardest place to see people healed is inside of a church building. Because all of the baggage that we're going to sing three songs and be out by 8 o'clock overwhelm the Holy Spirit. The minute we rent a hotel, or in one case when we rented the cow palace, the minute we get out of a religious setting, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and miracles break out everywhere. Well, what, then how do you explain Teresa's healing in the Clear Lake Assembly of God Church? You explain it simply this way. The people of Clear Lake had so overwhelmed the four walls of that church 
that they had taken over and commandeered that church out of its regular routine so completely that it might as well have been outdoors. It might as well have been a convention center. It could have been an Indian casino for all I cared because of the power that was in that room. Now, how many of you want revival? Say amen. How many of you want to see the power of God? How many of you want to operate in healing power? Two worlds collided. Christ and Old Testament religion collided. And I'm going to make a statement that before Christ could heal the man of the effects of the disease in his body, he had to heal him of the effects of religion on his spirit. I believe he turned his back. Don't look at that pool anymore. You know how many Christians all over the Bay Area need to forget all the hypocrites they've seen in church? All of the times they've been wounded. Maybe you went through divorce and your denomination crucified you, even though Christ had already been crucified. Maybe you've seen the ugly underbelly of Christian life. That may cause more unbelief than anything else. Sometime when I'm in a church, I have to stay two weeks, even though the first week, I was in a church in Baltimore. The first four nights I were there were the worst four meetings of my life. And on Wednesday night, I was so glad that on Thursday morning I was flying home. I did not know how to explain it. And I'm sitting in the office and the Lord said to me, you are not done here. You have only cracked open one or two things. I want you to fly back next Sunday. I want you to tell the pastor to go four more nights. I said, God, I've never invited myself back to a church in my life, let alone a dead church and let alone a church where the meeting was an absolute flop where I felt like I went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. The pastor looked at me as I expected. You want to do what? He said, I want to go four more nights starting next Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. He said, Mario, are you sure you've heard from God? He said, listen, were you in these meetings? And I said, listen, if you were an evangelist, would you come sign up for more? I said, this has to be God. And he said, all right, well, we'll do it. What he didn't know, what I didn't know, what would happen that next Sunday morning. The pastor was stunned that you could not park within 10 blocks of that church. He had more outsiders than he had regular congregation. We didn't know why they came. It was raw obedience to God. And in that meeting, a man completely paralyzed was healed by the power of God. And I was stuck five more weeks. Turned him around. Go look at the pool. Right now, get your eyes off of religion. Get your eyes off of that dead priest that put laws and regulations on you. Get rid of that past experience you had in a church split. And if you're a pastor, you listen to me. You got to get delivered of religion just as much. You got to forget the hurt, the disappointment, the people that you trusted, the ones who criticized your wife, 
who quit tithing, who hurt you and all that. You got to get rid of all of that. And you got to get to the point where you say with all your heart, listen, God, either the kingdom of God is run by Jesus or it's run by man. And I'm fed up and done with any human program. I am only going to follow Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. So he looked at the man, turned him away, and he said these words, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Try to appreciate the revolutionary, the explosive, the almost alien concept to this man. And his spirit is screaming, after 38 years, it cannot be that easy. That's it? That's all I got to do is look at Christ and when he said, rise, take up your bed and walk, that's it? Can't be. Let me tell you something. We have spent so much time convincing ourselves the Bay Area cannot be reached. We have spent so much time talking about how dark and deep and thick the devils are in this region of the world. But God is able after 38 years, after empty churches, divided places, after all the lies of the media, God is able to come on the scene and flip the script by the power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout like you believe what I'm preaching right now. Hallelujah. I maybe remember Peanuts comic strip. I maybe love Snoopy. Wave your hand at me. You know you love Snoopy. You even like Lucy as nasty as that lady was. The world's first feminist, Lucy from Peanuts, right? Pulling that football away and making Charlie Brown fall on his constitution. But how many of you remember Lioness believing in the great pumpkin? I remember one of my favorite comic strips was this. Lioness had printed up these great pumpkin tracks, and he was handing them out. The great pumpkin's going to rise from the pumpkin patch. Some of you, I love the look. You don't know what I'm talking about right now. I might as well be going but just ask some of the seasoned saints what I'm talking about. They'll explain it later. So Lucy walks up to Lioness as he's handing out the gospel tracts about the great pumpkin rising from the pumpkin patch. And Lucy says, what if there is no great pumpkin? And his answer was classic. He said, there has to be. I printed up all these tracks. <laughs> and that's exactly what this man by the pool thought. Oh, no. I cannot give up on the angel, the turning water, and Joel putting me in, even though it doesn't work even though it has absolutely no power, even though it is imprisoned and handcuffed me for 38 years to a ritual, I am still can't imagine 
how frightening it would be if all I had to do is obey the voice of Christ and I could get up and walk. So he said, rise. Everybody say rise. Everybody say rise. The Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places. This is Christ saying first, get out of your world into my world. Look at me. You may not be a pastor bound by religion, but I promise you, you are bound. And some of you are bound to doctors. And I love doctors, and I appreciate doctors. But let me talk to you about doctors sometime. Doctors are a religion. Doctors are a ritual. And it can be horrible. Sometimes they'll give you a pill that hurts you more than the disease it is meant to cure. Sometimes you listen on TV and you see the lady running through the flowers. She's over her depression because she took gobbledygook. And then the voice at the end of the commercial said, may cause thoughts of suicide. I'm going to take a pill to get over depression that makes me want to kill myself. If anyone knows, this woman understands that sometimes medicine becomes a maze. You get into the grind of being prescribed this and prescribed that. Prescribed antibiotics when you don't even have an infection. You have a virus, and it does nothing for that. But then you get to go to the doctor's office. Isn't that fun? You get to go, you see, and you got to be on time. Now, he may not have finished his 18 holes of golf yet. And he's going to be a half hour late to see you. But let me tell you something. You better be there on time or you're going to lose your appointment. And then I hear people who are sick. I can't go to church. I can't go to a healing meeting. I know it's inconvenient. Now, you're there and there's a nurse. I know there's a nurse that works with ice. What she does, her job is to freeze the table that you have to sit on. She's rubbing it with large blocks of ice. Said, Mabel's about to get here, and I got to make sure this table is at 26 degrees. Then they give you the gown that does not do the job. Oh, you're not helping me enough tonight. They give you the gown that does not do the job. It falls short of the glory. You can be twiggy and that thing doesn't do the job. It's, it's a special medical cloth that's guaranteed to shrink while you're putting it on. And you're, you look, and you're backed up against the wall. You trust all that. You trust the appointment, you have to be on time. You trust the gown that doesn't do the job. You trust the frozen table that you've got to sit on. You trust the insane pills you've got to take. But then you go to church and you sit there with the body language saying, I don't know if God can heal today. I don't know if there can be a miracle today. How do I know this guy didn't set this up? This stuff is phony. That's sick. And that's why he said, rise. Get over that. Get out of that. Stop doing that and come to God like a child and say, you know what? You are my healer. I believe you're my healer. 
I believe you're my healer. You're making me go longer than I should have, and I apologize. Take up your bed. Rule number two. How many of you know if you can't trust your bed, you can't trust anything? How many of you sleep on your bed? Wave your hand at me right now. How many of you, you don't get in bed and say, bed, don't hurt me. Don't turn into something you're not while I'm sleeping on you. I hear people say this all the time. I, I, businessmen, travelers, and evangelists said, you know what? I don't care how good the bed is in the hotel. I always sleep the best in my own bed. And you can get to the point where Jesus said, get off that bed. And the bed represents what you trust, what you're basing, what you're lying on. You know, in Romans, it says for us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Aramaic, that metaphor is a person drowning in the ocean and a large piece of wood comes by and you get up on it. It's get up and float on Christ. That's the literal definition. Jesus is telling the man, forget the pool, get into my world. Get out of that world. Get out of the world of pills. Get out of the world of fear. Get out of the world of the voices that speak to you and tell you you're sick, you're going to die, blah, 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 blah. Then roll up your bed. Say, now tonight, I'm going to give Christ absolute and total trust. He's what I'm relying on. My hope is in him. My hope is not in my next surgery. My hope is not in Obamacare. My hope is not in a bottle. It's not in a drug. It is in Christ. I need help right now. That's who I trust. Then he said, walk. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Have you ever noticed, ladies and gentlemen, how many healings in the Bible began with a shout? The gate beautiful Peter yelled at the man, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. In Acts 14 at Lystra, Paul said that he perceived that the man had received faith to be healed and he yelled, stand up on your feet. And he was healed. Christ issued direct command, sudden direct command. Go wash. Go show yourself to the priest. You'll be healed on the way. Go your way. Your servant is healed. Now, the greatest of all was Lazarus come forth. One Bible teacher said he had to say Lazarus or every dead person would have come to life. Right now, put your hand over your heart.